Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Beer podcast. Glad you could join us. We are heading like a freight train toward the rut in most parts of the country anyway, so this is an exciting time. With any luck, you're listening to this on your way to a stand or on the way from. And this is just a fun time to be talking beer, and we have a great show for you today because we are talking hunting the rut with Scott Bestial. He's a very popular uh, outdoor writer. He's the field editor for Field and Stream. He is actually somebody that I really looked up to as a young deer hunter trying to learn things, love reading his stuff, and it's uh, we're going to have a great conversation with Scott today. And joining me, as always, on that conversation is the doctor, doctor in the house. Uh, this is going to be a fun going? one, isn't it? Good. It is. This is the time of year. I mean, we're we're talking rut strategies and rut topics and short of being out in a tree stand, this is the next best thing. Speaking of being in a tree stand, I want to hit our sponsor up here real quick today. Our sponsor today is First Light. And I got to tell you, having just climbed out of the stand this morning and it was chilly, I had my first light on. The combination I went with this morning was the kiln hoodie is my base layer, which I love. A lot of times I'll just wear that as my outer layer, but it was a little chillier this morning. So on top of that, I put on the catalyst jacket and the solitude vest which I find to be a really great combination for those mornings when it might not quite be frosty yet, but it starts out cold and then warms up probably into the mid fifties or even 60 degrees. Uh, and the nice thing about that is it's a layering system. So you can start taking pieces off. So that was my combination this morning. And if there's ever an area that you don't want to skimp as a hunter, it's in your clothing because it doesn't matter what kind of other equipment you have. If you have top of the line bows and guns and all of these things, if you can't stay out there and be comfortable, obviously your odds are going to go down. So don't skimp on your clothing. Uh, finally, I want to mention First Light is a great partner of NDA, and they're helping us through the Camo for Conservation program. So if you go buy some First Light and you buy the Spectre pattern, a portion of those sales are actually coming back to support the NDA, which we certainly appreciate. So be sure to check them out, firstlight.com. Mike? We're to the point where we can start telling a few deer stories, and I'm going to go ahead and do that uh, because we only got a, we only got a couple ask NDA anything's for this episode, and I'm going to hold on to those so we can have a more meaningful read on those the next time. And so let's just jump into a couple deer stories here before we spend the bulk of our time with our friend Scott. Uh, I've had some success. I had a day on uh, the weekend where it was one of those days where the, the wind was right. The, we had a front coming through. There had been rain all morning. And I kind of had the, the ideal spot on my, on my property to go to, at least I thought, based on my trail camera photos. I had an, egg, uh, excuse me, an oak tree dropping acorns. I had my food plot there. And uh, lo and behold, I ended up having a pretty exciting night. Well, you did. You picked a good spot. Uh... The one thing that you're not really sharing, but that's okay. But I'll tell everybody is that the location. I mean, you had you had terrain features. I mean, you had a you had a creek, you had uh, a drainage ditch or a cut into this one um, hillside that comes off into that that creek and the food and you know like well two means of food and you had the cover. Yeah, they came out of this high goldenrod field, so the setup is just was just pristine. And you picked the right location. And you got it done. I think what you're saying is even I couldn't screw that setup up. 
And so no, what I was saying is that you're, you, you did everything you needed to do and you used MRI, most recent information and you have a story to tell. Yeah, I do. And I'll keep it brief. I, I do like to fill antlerless tags early in the season if possible. And that was really my goal on this hunt. I had been getting some buck pictures and some decent ones, but they were still at night. Uh, but I was just, just getting a ton of antlerless deer pictures. And I wanted to take two, maybe three deer if I could off of my place this year. And so I had a good setup and I don't want to, I don't want to understate how being able to slip into a setup quietly is so important because one of the deer pretty much just stood up that was laying there nearby and, and had it been quiet, it would have certainly heard me coming in, but having that little bit of wind and wet ground allowed me to slip into my setup uh, quickly and quietly. I was using a hunting saddle. Um, this was not a, a preset stand location. So I was able to go in, set my sticks and get up the tree. And I wasn't there long before deer started moving. And I kind of ended up in this interesting scenario where I had uh, a big adult doe that had two button bucks with her. She was in the food plot, but she was behind trees feeding. And then in the meantime, down to the lower end of the plot and coming into the acorns was another adult doe. And so I had them on both ends of me. And I kept thinking the one that was with the with the button bucks was going to come give me an opportunity. And so I passed one chance at the other doe. And then eventually the older doe went back in behind the tree. And then the other one below should give me another opportunity. And I just thought to myself, I'm kind of like, it's like watching ping pong right now. I'm back and forth and I can't make a decision. And I was thinking already, I'm going to have to tell the doctor a story about how I had deer all around me and couldn't get a shot. And so <laughs> Eventually I said, you know what, even though that's a, a little bit of a tougher shot at the deer feeding on the acorns, I'm going to take it if she gives me one. And so sure enough, she did. She fed out and gave me a perfect 25 yard quartering away shot. And I took the shot and the deer took two jumps and stopped and looked back. And I thought, well, surely I didn't miss that deer. I felt really good about it. And then, uh, cause she looked really alert. Then she took another step and I looked and I could see where my, my exit wound was on the deer. And I thought ah, it was a good shot and she didn't even know it. And so a few seconds later she expired, which was great. And I didn't have to blood trail. And so I thought, well, this is still pretty early. I'm going to stay up in the tree for a few minutes here anyway. And I knocked another arrow and sure enough, I looked to my left and here comes another doe. And it may have been the first one that I was seeing. Uh, I'm not sure, but anyway, she comes into the food plot and then works her way right down perfectly off to my left. And I got a shot at her. And so uh, there you have it. In a matter of just a few minutes, I filled two antlerless tags. And uh, the, the second one I shot, I wasn't as confident on the shot. And so what we did was uh, something that we most often do when we're not sure on an evening hunt is we let that deer go. It was going to be cool enough. I retrieved the other deer and I asked the doctor to join me the next morning. And uh, Mike, we had a little bit of bad luck right off the bat, didn't we? We did. We, one of the things is when you called me the night before is I always, as you're talking to tell me the story and I like to hear the person's confidence in regards to the shot, the situation. And that helps me make a more of a educated decision to try and help them out. Cause there's emotions that are involved. And while you were talking to me, I was also on the phone looking at the weather and we weren't supposed to get any rain. The front had come through. It was supposed to be dry. And I thought there would, and the temperature was low. So I thought there's no reason we shouldn't leave that deer and so that was the decision, but unfortunately we got out there and there was one small little cell that moved through and sure enough, if that didn't move right over your property. 
Yeah, it sure did. And I, when I when I first went and inspected my shot, I had a good pass through. There was blood tip to tip on my arrow, and I found a really nice blood trail. And I thought, well, this should be easy tomorrow, but I still wanted to give it time. And it wasn't too bad. We didn't have a blood trail to work with, but we did a little grid searching. And uh, it was actually the doctor that stumbled upon it and gave me a whistle and said, hey, back here. And it's funny because I had walked right past that spot, maybe at just a slightly different angle, which tells you, you really have to scour. If you get into the grid search situation, you really have to scour the terrain. And it's always nice having a partner to help you. So anyway, it's a happy ending. Retrieved both deer, one I kept for myself, one I gave to a friend, uh, which is uh, good for them. They look forward to that each year. And so, yeah, it was a, a really productive and uh, evening and a fun hunt. And the first deer I've I shot on that property. So I was pretty excited about that. And it's always fun to have the doctor involved too. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into our interview with Scott Bestial. It's the time of year where people want to hear about the rut. You probably don't want to hear my doe stories uh, as much as you want to hear about some rut tactics. And there are really in terms of experience and people have been doing this a long time and writing about it and has experience in multiple States and has talked to some of the uh, best, most skilled hunters in the country. Uh, Scott Bestial is, is about the best person I could think of uh, to bring onto the show and talk about rut hunting tactics. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Scott. And I think you're going to enjoy this one. Welcome, Scott Bestial, to the Coffee and Deer podcast. This is a show, as we talked about in the outset, we're excited. We're excited about this. Scott, it's great to have you. Scott is a, a freelance writer more than 30 years, been writing for more than 30 years. And I can tell you, as I was looking back through some of the archives, it's deep. So there's a lot of articles, a lot of, a lot of writing by, uh, by Scott, and it's great stuff. He's the field editor for Field and Stream. Uh, also a very accomplished deer hunter. And uh, as a personal note, uh, I've been a fan of Scott's work for a long time. And uh, I remember reading your stuff, Scott, uh, way back in the day, I guess, probably in Field and Stream and other places. And I've just always appreciated your writing. So I'm a fan. It's great to have you. And uh, you've also co-authored some books, in particular, uh, The Total Deer Hunting Manual, 301 Skills You Should Know. So I can't think of someone more qualified to talk on this subject than you, Scott. Well, you're way too kind to me, Nick. So um, you can join my mom in, in, in our two-person fan club, but I appreciate <laughs> it very much. Well, I'm sure we're not your only two fans. And so yeah, that's the background from, from where I'm sitting. But tell us a little bit about you from, uh, from where you sit. Well, I'm... Uh... I'm the proud father of 22 year old boy girl twins. So um, that's my, my greatest uh, uh, source of pride, I guess. <laughs> uh, they're both great young, young men and women and uh, they've, got a, they've got a great start on life. So I'm really, uh, that's a, if I can hang my hat on anything, that's the thing I'm the most proud of. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm just, uh, I don't know, I feel super blessed to be able to do what I do, what I do for a living and uh, one of my greatest joys in this job is, uh, is getting to talk to guys like you and, and especially, you know, interviews, uh, successful deer hunters and tell their stories. That's just such a, such a kick for me. And I, I learned something from almost everyone I talk to and, and I just consider it a real honor that, you know, they're willing to share their, you know, their story and their excitement with me. And, um, it's probably one of the greatest perks of my job. And I just, 
I'm just a guy who just loves to deer hunt. I just dreamed about it ever since I was a little kid. I uh, grew up in Wisconsin. My father and uncles and cousins were all deer hunters, and I just was like, yeah, that's that's what I want to be. I mean, I didn't think about a job or anything. So <laughs> when I could turn, you know, writing about deer hunting into a job, it was like pinching myself, you know. I was just going to ask you at that time as a, as a kid, you probably never imagined you'd be doing what you do now or have had the career that you had. Had no idea. I didn't know anyone who was a writer. I didn't know you could make a living doing that, you know? And uh, so, yeah, it was pretty amazing. And I did, I actually trained to be a teacher. I, I was a high school English teacher and coach for four years. And uh, anyway, I, I enjoyed that quite a bit, but um kind of always hired by small schools that were having budget problems. So I kept getting laid off at the end of every year and have to go search for another job. And, and in the meantime, I'd sold a few stories. And so just one day in this, um, you know, moment of complete uh, optimism and stupidity, I'm like, I'm just going to be a writer, you know, <laughs> and I, that was followed by seven years of basic starvation, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you say just to be a writer. I mean, that is that is very hard work, especially the way that you do it. You're not just writing off the cuff. There's a lot of research and interviewing and so on. Um, and it's not just Build and Stream, which is, I mean, that's obviously one of the most popular places you could write about uh, outdoors issues. But you also uh, have written for a lot of other national and regional magazines. Um, you're, are you still blogging for Winchester World of Whitetail? Uh, not, no, I, that gig kind of went away, but, um, yeah, I do. I'm blessed to write for, uh, to, you know, free, be, free, feel, excuse me, field and stream allows me to freelance for other uh, publications and it's, it's neat. You know, I like diversity. I like write, you know, writing different stuff and writing for different people. And yeah, it's, it's all fun. I love it. Great. Um, so as I'm going through your archives, uh, there, there, as I said, there's a lot. Uh, and I just was looking back through some of the things you've written. Now we're talking about the rut and just looking at some of the things last year uh, that you wrote, uh, five myths about the whitetail rut, how to call deer during the rut, the seven best days of the, of the rut for last year. Uh, so you've covered the rut inside and out. And then even more recently, you've written quite a bit on um, early season hunting. So uh, 10 early season deer hunting tips for bagging a monster, this type of stuff. So uh, it's an awful lot. And like I said, I, I couldn't think of a better person to have this discussion with. So we're glad to have you here. And so with that, I want to jump right into some of the rut questions. And I know the doctor is chomping at the bit as well. Um, is the rut, this is a controversial question. People might think you're going to answer one way, but we'll see. Is the rut your favorite time to hunt? Um, well, that it's kind of de dependent. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't deny the excitement of the rut. I mean, you're, you know, you're seeing, you're often seeing activity that, you know, is probably at the uh, busiest and, uh, you know, most frenetic of the whole fall. So, you know, it's undeniable that that's exciting and it's, and it's cool. And a lot of times I travel during the rut. Um, I've gone to Kansas for many years and, you know, it's just cool to see, you know, big deer just behaving like they do. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's really great. However, um, if I'm after a particular deer, which sometimes I'm able to do, um, you know, in my home area here in Minnesota, um, it can be it can be one of the most frustrating times. And I would I would much rather if I'm targeting a specific deer, I would I think my chances at you know arranging an encounter with him are way better in September or December. Uh, he's just more more predictable. 
But um, in terms of overall activity, I mean, yeah, how can you not like the rut? It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's probably the same answer I would have given. And it, you talk about frustration because as many times as we may have had it all come together during the rut, there's at least one or maybe two times where that deer's cruising just out of range or uh, is better. You got to sit there and this has happened to me multiple times. You're sitting there watching them lock down with a doe and you can't get anywhere near them. Uh, right. So it's also very challenging. I guess I'm not surprised to hear you uh, not say immediately, oh, no, it's my absolute favorite time to hunt. Yeah, it's uh, there's definitely challenges to it. And uh, uh, it, it can it can reveal the chinks in a buck's armor. And it can also reveal the chinks in your armor because <laughs> they don't always do what we want us to do. And it's easy to get frustrated and, you know, uh, and, and give up. So uh, anyway. Yeah, it's it, it's it's great, but I just, I love to see. Um, one aspect of it that I absolutely adore is that you know you a buck that may have been really nocturnal or reluctant to move, or or a buck that you may never even known was there or might have been on the neighbor's property is is suddenly active and on his feet, and uh, you know how can you not love that? It's just it's fun. Well, I can tell you that the doctor and I were exchanging some trail camera pictures here earlier today. And the, this, this particular deer that has us excited is a night walker so far. And you're talking about chinks in the armor. Realistically, unless you get really lucky, we probably won't see that deer. If it wasn't for the rut, we may never have a chance to see that deer in the daylight. So, right. uh, yeah, I'm fully on board with what you're saying. It's a definitely an exciting time to be out there and to see a lot. I, that's why I think so many people... <sighs> They take off, they take their vacations, right? The first or second week in November. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're seeing so much and it's not necessarily the success rate that's driving them. It's just the, the observational data. It's just a, a thrilling time to be out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of that, what is one of your best rut stories? We're talking about things you saw. Now it doesn't have to necessarily be where you come out of it with a, with a tag. Uh, where you filled a tag, but something you may have seen, maybe it does have to do with filling a tag, just one of your fondest rut experiences. I don't, you know, when you, when we were discussing this, <laughs> when you were kind of forecasting this podcast and you mentioned you might ask that question, I didn't even have to think for a half a second because this happened to me, oh my gosh, it had to be 30 years ago. I was a fairly I mean, I'd been bow hunting for quite a while and killed a few deer, but this was something I had never seen and I have not seen since, but I was hunting Buffalo County, Wisconsin. I had a great little farm there owned by a friend of mine. It was a snowy November day, uh, super cold. And um, I was sitting in my stand on the side hill in the morning and I, I heard these deer coming to me. Um, and I looked over my shoulder and there was a doe and then behind her, I heard this deep grunt and I went, oh, okay, here we go. I grabbed my bow and there was a nice 10, oh, probably 140, 150 class following her. And I'm like, all right, that's good enough for me. And then I heard another grunt from the other shoulder and I looked over and here comes a buck equally as big as the first one, if not bigger. And they just, the doe walked in, you know, right up, right in front of my stand. And these two bucks just looked at each other and and even then, I'd never seen a buck bite, but I knew what was going to happen because they just, they acted like nothing I'd ever seen before. They just bristled up like dogs and laid their ears back and started walking at each other. And it was like somebody 
rang a bell to start the fight. They just charged at each other and just hit each other as hard as they possibly could. And I watched a full-blown buck fight go on for five minutes at 20 yards. And, you know, two mature bucks just, they were doing their level best to kill each other. It was, it was really Mm -hmm. shockingly violent. (laughs) I mean, uh, I've, it's funny when I, I talk to people about, you know, people ask me about rattling and, you know, and I'm, oh, I'm afraid to make noise and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, trust me, <laughs> you cannot mimic the sounds of an actual buck fight with rattling antlers. It's impossible. These two deer just went at each other and one of them was slightly bigger, but he wasn't the stronger deer. And he was getting, he was starting to fail a little bit. Um, and then the stronger buck got an uphill, um, advantage on him and was able to tip him over on his side and then gored him in the ribs with his antlers. And then when the, I thought, I thought it was over then. I thought, Oh my gosh, this, he's going to kill this deer. <laughs> well, the, the one that was on the ground, Matt managed to roll over and take off running. And, uh, and then the winner chased him across the Valley. I watched him for a quarter mile. Wow. And it was so funny because in the process of all this fighting, a smaller six pointer had, and some other deer had come in to see what the fracas was about. And this six pointer watched these two big ones run across the valley, looked over at the doe who was clearly in heat, and he was like, Hey, <laughs> and they walked <laughs> <back> together. <laughs> so anyway, that's my when I think about the rut, I'm like, man, if I could just see that one more time in my life, I would be a happy man, but I, I don't need to, that, that memory will stay with me forever. It was just, it was an incredible experience. And you know, it's funny guys, those deer were within 20 yards of me, um, for that whole time. And I like, I looked at my bow one time and I'm just like, I really don't want to kill one of these. I just want to see this happen. And I did that. So it was, it was really cool. Well, good for you to have that uh, restraint. And I, I feel like I've seen similar scenes play out in college. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, if anybody, if anybody has uh, seen a real buck fight, and I've seen a couple, to your point, it is two, it's two freight trains head on for each other. It is not uh, tickling the antlers and this type of thing. And I think that many people who try to rattle are too light, and that's why they're not successful. Um, and if you're fortunate to be in a place like Buffalo County, Wisconsin, where you've got a few mature deer running around, you have a better chance of seeing that play out. And I want to continue this theme, though, because I got to tell you, I'm, I am fired up. This show is going to drop right about the time the rut is really starting to pick up. And uh, I'm, I'm ready to go flying out there right now uh, after right. hearing that story. But uh, I'm going to bring the doctor in here. Uh, let's all let's all take a crack at this uh, since we're uh, since we're getting fired up. Doc, what is what is your best rut memory? My best rut memory was back in the late nineties. I was on stand back when I was young enough to do those all day sits. And it was about one, two in the afternoon and it had been a rather slow morning. And after I'd finished lunch and settled in for my afternoon hunt, realizing I'm not going home, I hear a commotion up on the ridge above me about, you know, 200 feet in elevation. And this mature doe comes tearing down over the hill just as fast as her legs will carry her. And she runs exactly five yards right in front of my stand. And the parade of bucks then began where there was buck after buck after buck. In total, there was nine different bucks with the smallest one being, I think he was like a 
18 month old six point, and then he, they went up from there. And to be honest with you, it was it was almost like a comedy of errors because when the the ones that I would consider shooters back then, which were your two and a half year olds, and there was actually two three and a halfs that ran through, to try and get them to stop and just if you would have had video of me on stand making noises, I mean, short of like blowing an air horn to try and get them to stop. I had to say that many bucks ran past me at that close of a distance with a bow in my hand. And the fact that I never even drew back um, was comical. And so to me, to this day, that's the one thing that I remember. It's, it's, it was like, I went oh for nine. <laughs> I mean, literally. That's awesome. Well, our stories are going to all have something in common. And that is that they're all going to end with none of us punching a tag. <laughs> which well, you know, if I, <laughs> yeah i don't know if we're if, if that's good or bad but um so mine is a little bit similar to yours mike uh, i can't remember the, the year exactly but it would have probably been the early 2000s and it was one of those mid-november days where it's it's just sort of warm and you're out there and nothing is moving and it's the rut and you feel like what in the world is going on nothing's moving and I'm just sitting there kind of feeling sorry for myself. And then all of a sudden, out of the brush near me, a doe stands up that I didn't even know was there. She must have been bedded there when I, when I went in and got set up. And she started just sort of walking in circles and was acting really strange. And I didn't realize it at the time. It took me a couple of seconds. But she was, she was at that very moment. She was coming in, coming into estrus, like right at that moment. And I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, that is, that is really cool. And then all of a sudden is if somebody opened up the back of a, a big white moving van and stalked about, you know, I don't know how many bucks, all these deer that I wasn't seeing all of a sudden literally just started appearing out of nowhere. And to me, and there was one in there that, that was, I thought was a shootable buck that, but again, there, once they were on her, there was no chance they were running, but I would say there were five or six different bucks that showed up within within literally a minute of her doing that and i've never forgotten that lesson because it's so it was so magical and as much as well you know the national deer association as much as we're tied into the science and learning about deer and one thing we have never really exactly figured out and i'm, I'm glad we haven't because i enjoy the mystery is what is it like it's not anything that comes in a bottle is it something in the air how do they know and so that was extreme. Um, that's one of the best hunting moments of my life, deer hunting moments of my life, because I just I learned and got to, got to witness that just to see it actually happen. And again, I did not feel <laughs> didn't feel the tag like you guys. But man, what a what a memory. And I think that goes back to what you were saying, Scott. It's just one of the reasons we love to be out there during the rut so much. Yeah, that's a great story. You know, I, I was uh, I had a friend that used to guide down in Illinois. And he was chasing a really big buck, mature, you know, super, super big as so many of those central Illinois deer are. And he said, this deer was just fascinating because there were several other great bucks on the property, you know, solid shooters that most people would be happy to kill. And he said, when the rut was approaching, these, these junior bucks that were, you know, again, mature would be out there dogging does around and dogging does around. And he said, and you could literally, where he could, he could see where this monster would, would be bedded. And he would just sit there and watch and watch and watch. And this might go on for a day or two. And then all of a sudden he would just walk out there and take that doe and, you know, shove those other bucks out of the way. It's like he could tell just from looking at her that she was ready. 
and the other ones were wasting all their time run, you know, chasing around trying to make it happen. And so, yeah, they, that's a fascinating story that, I mean, you literally got to watch one come into estrus and uh, so, yeah, that's, that, it'd be fascinating to, to know what, what it is they see or smell or, you know. Well, Scott, talking about being on stand, I have a question for you and it pretty much is your choice to how on how you want to answer this but do you have a preferred or a favorite rut stand location and i'm talking about a place or a specific tactic that you consistently use during the rut or that you have increased confidence in um i would say uh trying to think i i mean i do have a really good rut stand that's specific and it kind of, I guess it kind of illustrates one thing that I, that I truly love to do during the rut is, um, I call this the ski lift stand. It's on a, I live in kind of bluff, in bluff countries. So there's some pretty steep country here. And I, I nicknamed this stand the ski lift because it's on the end of a bluff that's so steep that you'll wish you had a tow bar to get up there. <laughs> but anyway, it's a perfect example. Our bucks here love to bet on the ends of ridges and they, uh, and I leave those areas alone until the rut, but I have a stand. I like to put stands on those ridge ends. And then about, excuse me, <clears throat> about the 28th of October or somewhere in that time frame, and then in through November, I go into those places for the very first time all year. And I just, I don't know, I love the feeling of it. I feel like, ooh, you know, I'm finally invading this buck sanctuary for the first time. And I know that I'll probably beat him back to his bedroom. And then, uh, and if I wait for the right wind, which will blow my scent out over the valley, uh, he can approach me from virtually any direction and he can't smell me. So, um, and when I go to the ski lift stand, I, I try to stay all day. Uh, and I'm, I'm getting old too. I can't pull off a whole lot of those anymore. But, you know, if I, if I pick out four or five days where I think I can do it, one of them will be at the ski lift. And I love that spot because it's not only a bedding area, but it's kind of a it's kind of a funnel that connects a couple different uh, ravines. And so I literally have no idea what's going to come through there. Uh, and it's just, I love that element of, you know, anticipation and surprise. And, and also the fact that I feel like I'm, I'm pretty bulletproof. I get in there in the dark and I don't leave till it's dark and I know I've got the right wind and it's like, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the show. You know? So I, that's, that's probably one of my favorite types of setups is, you know, getting into a, a funnel or a bedding area that I haven't been in before and one where I feel like I've got pretty good odds of seeing, you know, a mature deer and, and not uh, alerting him to, to me. And then, and then just let the chips fall where they may. He might come into bull range, he might not, but it's going to be a fun hunt. All right. Well, I have a follow-up question for everybody. So I'd like everyone to chime in on this one. And Scott, you did mention that in regards to based on a specific location of stand, you choose an all day sit to is not, you know, so that you don't blow the stand location up. Um, but let's talk about, because we have gotten questions in the past about all day sits, thoughts, whether they're useful, whether they're not useful. And if anyone does do all day sits, tips to, to actually make it tolerable, whether it be mentally or physically. Nick, go first. Nick or do I? Um, yeah, let's okay. let Nick go first because I know his answer. <laughs> okay, go, go, Nick. <laughs> well, I, well, yeah, our regular listeners will know that I said on the last show that I retired from all day sits a couple of years ago, uh, which isn't entirely true. I mean, obviously, if I'm sitting out there and that scenario happens where the deer I'm after beds down out of just in, in sight but out of range, I'm not leaving. But um, 
No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not totally giving up all day sits, but they're tough. And what I've started to do later in life when I was um, smarter than I was physically able and willing, um, I would start to get down midday and at least get down and maybe switch stand locations or move away for a minute. And the reason I did that was two reasons. One, just mentally, that, that little break of climbing down and getting your feet on the ground and maybe walking away is really good. That, that's sort of like halftime. You can buy yourself some time. The other thing though I thought was, is I started to think back through my career and that how few times I would see, I would see fewer deer it seemed like in the evening in those spots on those all day sits. And what I, my hypothesis is that I, throughout the day I was just building a big scent cone there. The longer I was there, the longer my scent was gonna be in the air and wind as consistent as it may feel is never really fully consistent. And so really for those two factors, I just thought, you know, I'm better off getting down midday and at least going back to the truck and either getting lunch or maybe just switching stands to another location. I don't know if it was more for my physical or mental well-being, but uh, I feel like that I did better when I did that. So that's, I guess that's my answer. I agree a hundred percent with that. Um, you know, I, and I don't, I don't consider switching stands cheating or or you know oh I don't I can't count that as an all-day hunt because I you know left one stand and went to another I think it makes perfect sense and plus a lot of the spots that I start the day and in, in during the rut are what I know are you know either bedding areas or you know a, an area that a that a buck may not cruise through in the late afternoon and makes and maybe it makes more sense to be you know out towards feed or you know in, in a different type of funnel and plus you know you can't sugarcoat um you know, the difficulties of an all day set. I mean, it's, as Nick pointed out, it's tough mentally and, and physically, and, uh, you know, you got to take care of yourself. So yeah, I make sure I bring a lot of good food and water and a, and a book. I'm a reader. Yep. I confess I'll read on the stand quite a bit <laughs> and I'm not afraid to get down and, you know, if it's midday and I'm going a little stir crazy, I'll go down and, you know, walk around my stand or to lay down and make a snow angel or something just to, <laughs> just to get some circulation going. I mean, it can, tree stands, you know, and even a nice ladder stand, they can feel kind of claustrophobic after a while. And, um, you know, you need to, you need to change that up. Well, I'll, I'll finish us off here. And what I will say is I've noticed a difference in regards to increased difficulty when I switched away from climbing stands, because, some of the climbing stands that I used years ago were so much more comfortable that you could actually even take a little nap in there with a safety harness on. I mean, I used, I had that API, I think it was called a predator stand. And I tell you, I don't know how many hours of sleep I got in that. Now, granted, how many deer walked past me, I have no idea, but, but I felt that comfort was important. And I will have to say that I haven't pulled off an all day sit in a couple of years. Um, I've, I've started pulling off longer day sits where I'll hunt my way in, in the morning and definitely want to be settled and set by about eight 30, at least the places that I hunt where I'm back in away from feed and closer to their beds where they're going to show up a little bit later. And I'll hunt until two to three o'clock in the evening. And then kind of like Nick said, historically, my, my stats that I keep in my head, I have never had a lot of sightings and or success from four o'clock on. But then again, as I said, I'm back in a lot deeper and away from food, um, maybe around a couple secondary food sources, but never near primaries. And so I, 
I think that I'm going to just kind of settle into that nine to two, nine to three mode as I, as I move forward here in my career, because I have shot a lot of deer from that 10 o'clock to two o'clock, more specifically bucks at 10 o'clock to two o'clock timeframe. And I just want to make sure I'm focusing on that more, not so much getting down at midday, but kind of making sure I'm ready to go at midday, realizing that I had time to either sleep in or work my way in slowly. And then I'm going to be leaving a little bit early and I can actually have a longer evening period to rest and recharge for the next day. I love that. I really do. And you know, it's, I think it's, it's tough to underestimate that, you know, hunting the rut, it's, it's hard on a guy, especially if you're stringing multiple days together. And uh, I've even, um, I like Mike's point about going in, you know, a little bit later. And I, I'm, I don't, if I'm super tired, I don't mind sleeping in one morning and just get up when I get up and then go out to the tree. You know, um, in fact, a lot of times, um, you know, I think you probably spook less, fewer deer that way um, because you're not walking through feeding areas on the way to your stand or whatever. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, the thing that we, in my opinion, the thing that <laughs> is important to focus on during the rut and, and all times of season is, you know, hunting is supposed to be fun. <laughs> When you start suffering all the time, point, Scott. you know, I mean, it's just not worth it. So it, you should, you should be, you know, you should be hunting so that you enjoy it and whatever that method is for you, you know, what, whatever the hours are, if it's, you know, then that, that, and that's what you do. And, and if you find yourself in my, I know when I find myself like kind of dreading it, I'm like, we need to change something up here, you know? Yeah. There's something to be said about your mental preparation whether it be hunting or anything else. And if you're burned out mentally or physically, you're just not going to perform as well. Yep. And if you can imagine putting all those hours on stand um, and then finally getting that opportunity and blowing it because you weren't mentally prepared, that's uh, that's kind of crushing. What do you think there, Doc? Well, and I wanted to say, and I'm glad that you brought that up, mental preparedness is a, is a big deal for me. And the one tip that I got from an experienced hunter that I use to this day, and it's rather helpful, is how you look at your time on the stand. He told me, you shouldn't be sitting there saying, well, I just, ha I just have to make it two more hours or three more hours, then I can get down. Rather, he said, flip that script and talk to yourself in a positive light saying, oh boy, I only have three more hours to hunt. I hope it happens now. And to look at it from a positive where you don't want that, that end of day whistle to blow because you want to keep hunting, it puts your mind in a different place and it helps you stay more in tune to the hunt so that if it does happen, you are mentally prepared to execute what you've prepared for all season. I like that. That's really good. And, and you know, that's one of the reasons I found I like I mean, I hunt the evening a lot um, throughout the season, but I've, it's one thing I found that I love about morning hunts is, I, you know, you come in in the dark or the pink light and get up in your tree and the light just gets better and better and better and better. And I, I kind of, it's like, as the sun is coming up, I feel my optimism rising. Whereas on an evening hunt, I find myself like, oh boy, there's only about 20 minutes left. Yeah, <laughs> It's like things are going steadily downhill, you know? So anyway, yeah, that, and, and man, you know, just, yeah, it's, I think, and, and it's important to me to just kind of soak it, soak it all up and, you know, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the peripherals, you know, action that's happening 
my dad taught me that he's just, he's such a great guy. He's 91 years old wow. and still just shot his shot a nice buck with his crossbow here last week. And I tell you what, I'll pick him up from a hunt and he'll be I'm like, how's your hunt? Oh my gosh. It was so great. I had a chickadee land on my bow today. And you know, <laughs> and it's, it's never, it's, you know, sure. If he sees deer, he's excited, but he never misses, you know, did you see that sunset, man? Did you hear that flight of, you know, Canadian honkers going over? And I mean, it's just, um, and I, it always reminds me, yeah, man, you know, don't forget why we're out there and, you know, soak everything in and enjoy the experience because that keeps your head in, you know, in a happy place and you're out there, you know. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you're a blessed man, Scott, to have your father around that long and still hunting. And I know you know that. And, you know, I just think about as I've gotten older and I'm, I'm I guess I'm barely halfway to 90, but uh, I just appreciate things so much more now than I did as a younger person. I think it's uh, uh, my, my friend and board member, Cuz Strickland, talks about the different phases of a, being a deer hunter. And it, you start out just being a cold-blooded killer. And eventually you soften down to the point where it sounds like uh, most of us are and certainly where your dad is. So I, I just really love that story. Yeah, he's fun. <laughs> so what, I'm curious about this, because I think each of us has and any hunter has sort of their own thing, right? Or this, the way they do something that is unique to them. And so I'm going to put you on the spot here, Scott. What is the one thing that might surprise someone about the way you hunt deer? Um, well, one thing that I've noticed over the last few years is like, I put in a ton of time uh, putting in food plots and, <laughs> And I almost never hunt them. <laughs> I I don't know, and I don't know why. I they, I love them because they're there for the deer. And if I've got a buddy come in to hunt with me or a friend, I'm like, oh man, you got to sit on this food plot. This thing's on fire, you know. <laughs> and they're like, well, what about you? I'm like, I'm going back in the timber over here. <laughs> so I I don't know. That's just kind of a goofy thing. And I I I'm not. I suppose if I thought about it for a while, I could figure out why why I feel that way. But I just. I don't know. It's, I, it's, I almost view food plots kind of like, you know, we do a lot of hinge cutting and timber, you know, TSI to make bedding areas and sanctuaries. And we leave, you know, that's like, well, that's the deer's place. That's where they get to go. And I, I guess I kind of feel the same way about food plots. It's like, yeah, you want to go in there and eat, you just go ahead and feel safe. You know, I'll, I'll get you over here when you're, <laughs> when you're running back to bed or whatever. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, that's something that's, a little bit goofy about me, I guess. How about you guys? I, I like that answer. Um, I will say though, people can't see this, but my background picture is one of my plots and I'm not shy to hunt over it. So good for uh, you. Well, it's beautiful. I was looking at it going, that's a good place to kill a deer right there. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I've seen them in there, but I've, I've yet to actually shoot at one, but, um, but anyway, but I don't know if I have, I guess this, this might be unique to me. Um, this is something my dad taught me. We we're talking about dads and having the fortune to uh, you know, just growing up with some advice because so much of what we learn, we learn on our own. But um, he taught me to, when, when you get to your stand, uh, a thing he would always do that I still do is he would go ahead and he would uh, kick up the leaves and the earth around him and he would take that and just sort of spread it all over his, uh, outside of his hunting clothes. And very basic way of thinking, he's like, he said two things. He said, I've learned. He said, one is that the deer seem to come to that. They love that smell of that earth for whatever reason. And two, you're not going to find any better masking scent. 
And so to this day, as long as long, assuming I still remember before I get up in the tree, um, I like to do that. And there's just something about that ritual that, that makes me feel uh, better, makes me feel like I'm a little more hidden. So I guess that might be my my little weird thing. So Mike, you got to you got to come up with uh, you got to come up with something now. Um, for me, my weird thing. I think you've but you've been exposed to it more than anybody else. But for me, it is the the ritual, the level of preparedness that I go through just to get ready to hunt. And then I don't mean like every day, I mean, in regards to preseason into the season, because when I was younger, I didn't have a really good hunting mentor. And so I was mostly flying by the seat of my pants and I had made so many mistakes that every time I did, I swore to myself, I'm never going to do that again. And so I kind of lived this ritual of extreme preparedness to the point of where it doesn't look like I'm enjoying myself but that's how I have to enjoy myself so that I can walk out there with the confidence that I'm ready to go. And if I get a chance and I choose to take it all the better, but I guess my weird thing is that just how meticulous I am with every aspect of my equipment, my decision where I'm going to hunt, like almost like to the point of overthinking it to the, of being not of enjoyment, but I enjoy that. I mean, I guess that's weird about me. Well, I'm going to second that because, you know, I hunt with you a lot. And uh, it's funny because Mike and I, we're talking about all day sits. We've sat in trees together all day in the past, many times. And I got to tell you, like half the time I was, I was nervous because I'm like, man, I, I hope I don't do something that Mike doesn't approve of <laughs> up here. And because in some ways it's funny because we both, both have had our various levels of success, but we're like yin and yang sometimes. Um, I know there are some things that I do that just drive him crazy. Like, how can he be so haphazard and just like go crashing out there and uh, you know, and Mike is very meticulous and uh, very, you know, every, every little uh, detail he has ironed out. So uh, I can appreciate that, Mike, because yeah, I've, I've seen it firsthand. So. But I'm not as bad as my daughter. <laughs> well, we'll have to bring her on to defend herself. So my, my daughter, my daughter's a machine. Is she? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to ask you this one last question, Scott, because I mean we could go on forever, and I would I would love it. We'd have a great time. But I want to ask you this one last question to leave our listeners with: um, What would be your number one piece of advice for hunting the rut? Um. Well, it's it's kind of I'm I'm going to cheat and kind of give you like a two. <laughs> A two-part answer. Okay, <laughs> um, perfect. I think that um, I think my my main what what I tell myself anyway is to keep my expectations in check. Um, it's it's easy, you know. It's it's kind of like fishing during the spawn or the you know or salmon run or whatever. It's like yeah, it can be it can be absolutely fantastic, and you can but you can also you know have some pretty slow action, and the rut is is really similar in many ways. I mean, yeah, you can, you can go out there and, you know, the biggest buck of your life can walk around, walk in front of you acting stupid, or you can see an, an amazing buck fight. Like, like I was able, you know, lucky enough to witness all those years ago, but there's also a lot of times when you're just kind of, you know, staring at blank trails and you, you know, you pick the wrong stand that day or it's lockdown time or whatever it is. And, um, and, and I think, I think our expectations, or I've, I've caught myself doing this, 
is like, oh my gosh, it's it's November fifth. I mean, I should be into them. What's you know, what's wrong with me? <laughs> you Sounds know, familiar. Almost like taking it personally, you know. And it's like, man, you know, they're still deer. They're out there doing what they do. And you know what, you you know, you kind of focus on mature bucks, and they're really good at staying alive and you know and being kind of discreet. So, you know, um, I just uh, so I try to keep my expectations uh, at a you know reasonable level, and my patience screwed up really high and just try to be you know i come up with a game plan and then i just try to be confident in it and just and you know hearkening back to my dad um not forgetting to just enjoy it um because i think when when for me when i focus on that you know hey i'm not working i'm on the right side of the dirt <laughs> i've got a beautiful fall day <laughs> um and so yeah if a deer wants to show up God bless him. Bring him on. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let his failure to appear or my failure to not, to figure him out, um, you know, diminish my outdoor experience. Um, and I, because I want to, I want to always view hunting as fun and something that I really enjoy. Um, because I do, I do. I love it. I've done it for a long time. And um, you know, it's just as I'm sure it is with you guys. It's like part of who I am. And I don't want to. I don't want to view it as a chore um and so and i think sometimes if if the action isn't popping like i want it to be or you know you uh, we think it should be it's you know it's easy to get a little frustrated and um i you know and it and it's frustration can be okay it can challenge you and make you do something better or different but not to the point of you know boy this is just getting to be kind of like a job it's, it's deer hunting it's supposed to be fun <laughs> yeah well i love that answer and uh, I think that's that's the perfect way to put a cap on this. But uh, hey, Scott, good luck out there. I know you got some uh, hunting planned here as we get into the rut and uh, continued success with your writing. Uh, I continue to be a fan of your work and I mean that sincerely. So uh, thank you for that. You're, you're one of the people responsible for making me a deer nut. And um, also, uh, where can people find your stuff? Well, um... I'm pretty active on the Field and Stream website, so fieldandstream.com. And uh, don't confuse us with the Field and Stream shop, which has somehow mysteriously got our logo, but has really nothing to do with us. <laughs> so if you if you if you click on Field and Stream shop, you get to shop for hunting clothing, but you won't read any articles. So <laughs> go to fieldandstream.com. It'll say like hunting, fishing, blah blah blah, and then you'll get to read uh, read some cool articles by. Um, by my colleagues and hopefully by myself once in a while. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you again for being on. Oh, it was an honor. Thanks so much, guys. It was really fun. And uh, yeah, the, I mean, it's a couple of weeks away from November and I feel like it's going to be here tomorrow. So thanks for instilling that excitement in me. <laughs> I'm not disappointed in that, Mike. That was great. And uh, talk about being fired up. Uh, as we were talking and sharing stories there, I just, I just kept getting more and more excited. And so like, I'm, I'm like an old gobbler right now. That's been, been hearing a hen calling all morning. I'm, I'm going looking for. Well, right conversation for the right time of year. I was actually getting my phone out and logged onto my work schedule and I started blocking days before they get filled up. So I'm, I'm just as excited as you are. Yeah, I mean, there were so many different things to unpack there. And one of the things I was really interested to ask him, though, is whether or not he liked hunting during the peak rut uh, or, or other times. And, and he said what I expected him to say is that the actual peak rut isn't necessarily his favorite because it's the same reason it's not my favorite and probably not your favorite. 
deer are just running all over the place. And I think the reason people like it is because they see deer, but actually getting a shot at one is a lot of times, I mean, there's always luck involved, but there's an awful lot of luck involved to get, to get one to stop long enough whenever that's going on. Yeah. And there's different times of the year or different time periods during that, that breeding season. We'll just use the term rut in general, whether that, you know, you want to call that pre-rut, the actual seeking, breeding, chasing, et cetera, post phases. But, you know, there's different times where your opportunity to actually see deer is high. And there's other opportunities where maybe seeing the largest deer in the area or from miles around might be the, the best chance. But to, in all honesty, go out, hunt, enjoy yourself and, and just put the time in. And I don't think you'll be disappointed. Well, speaking of going out and hunting and putting your time in, it's Halloween week and you and I have some mature deer showing up on camera in places that we hunt and more so than they have been just a couple of weeks ago. And it's starting to be that crescendo. Uh, so we're going to be putting some more time on the stand. Uh, how, what is your level of optimism right now? I think it's good. I have a different feeling about this year. Last year, I didn't have a lot of um, a lot of enthusiasm for it. I was just going out and I felt like I was putting in my time, but I kind of recalibrated myself. I'm changing my hunting style, going back to something that was more successful for me for years. And you got to stick with what works for you. And I think I'm going back to doing that. And uh, that does revolve around, you know, being more of a rut hunter, stand sitter and putting in my time. Well, we're going to put in some time here and, um, I've, I've got a trip to Kentucky coming up that we raffled off for the deer association earlier this year. So I'm going to get the hunt with, uh, some supporters of the NDA here for a few days. And, uh, so with, with any luck, I'll either fill a Pennsylvania buck tag before then, or shortly after I come back and looking forward to having some fun in Kentucky. So with that, let's go ahead and, and call it a show here, folks. Uh, we really do appreciate you listening. I'll remind you, if you haven't already, please go to where you listen to podcasts and give us a rating. Let us know what you think of the show. Send us your emails. A quick reminder, your Ask NDA Anything questions. we got a whole bunch there right off the bat. Now they've slowed down a little bit. So I uh, look forward to hearing those as well. As, as you know, we will pick one of our favorite questions and give you a prize. So take advantage of that uh, for sure. Uh, hopefully you're already a subscriber to this podcast, but if you're not, please do so. We also at the NDA have the, uh, deer season 365 podcast, uh, to check out that's hosted by our, our, our friend, Brian Grossman. You got to check that out, subscribe to that one too, and tell your friends about us. You can find our podcast at this point. I used to read off all the different places you can find it. Uh, there are so many that it's, uh, you can just find it anywhere. Coffee and deer, deer season 365. And we also have our How to Hunt Deer series. That's completed, but you can still listen to those or pass those along to somebody who uh, wants to listen. Uh, one other thing, too, I want to add here is that if, if there's an opportunity for you to introduce somebody to deer hunting this fall, please do it. Don't be shy about asking. I got to go participate in a Field to Fork event with uh, that we did in Pennsylvania. Myself and Kip Adams and Lauren Varner from the NDA joined us on that. And we... Uh, we're with five new hunters who were going deer hunting for the first time. And I can't, it's, it's hard to even express how much fun it is uh, to see hunting again from that lens, from people who have so many questions and just are really excited about the idea of hunting. And these are adults, folks. These are people that are, or have already lived a life, you know, a lot of their life and they're, they want to learn hunting. And we have through our field to fork program, which we're going to do, by the way, more than 40 of these across 17 states this year. Uh, field to fork program, introducing them to hunting. 
And I can just tell you what a great experience that is. So if you have, if you know somebody you think they may want to try hunting, or maybe they even mentioned it to you before, I encourage you to uh, invite them out. You won't regret it. It'll be just as much fun, if not more fun than when it is when you're hunting yourself. So I just wanted to throw that in there as well. So uh, with that, folks, thank you again so much for listening. Thanks for your support of the National Deer Association. We really, really, really appreciate it. The deer appreciate it. And we're working for you. We're working for the deer. So uh, thanks for listening. Look forward to seeing you again on the Coffee and Deer podcast. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.